Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. So glad that you're here. Hope you had a great week and a great weekend. If I had the privilege of meeting, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege to take us into God's word today. As you heard in the video, it is uh, sometimes the life of a church. We have news that we celebrate because God is doing something, but we also mourn because uh, it involves a transition uh, on our part. And so I am thankful for Juan and Lily in the past seven and a half years that they have served at BT from middle school ministry to the launching of Sherryland. So many lives have been impacted through their ministry. And I'm thankful for the friendship that I have shared and will continue to share with them as they make this move. As you heard in the video, next month will be their last month as they'll make the move uh, this summer to Fort Worth. The last Sunday of June will be Juan's last Sunday. Uh, so he'll be spending the vast majority of his time in Sherryland as that's uh, the family that he's grown so close to. But he will be preaching one more time here in McAllen before he leaves. So we'll get to see him and pray over him. Uh, before that transition. So let me just say this. Would you join me in praying uh, for Juan and Lily during their transition, but also join me in praying for our church as God raises up the next campus pastor for our Sherryland campus. Amen? Uh, we continue to believe that, again, God will do above and beyond all we could ask or think for both Juan and Lily and for our church, specifically in our Sherryland campus. Hey, I want to echo what Isaac said earlier, and I want to welcome all our VIPs one more time. So let's make some noise for all the first-time guests in the room and online. So thankful y'all are with us. I recognize you had a choice today, and you have chosen to worship with us, and I pray that God will bless you today uh, as you are here. And uh, one more time, I want to welcome the online family. Let's give it up for BT Online joining us from all over today. And, uh, and then let's give it up for Isaac, our newest staff member here, um, w- hosting today for the first time. And then uh, we have some baptisms in our uh, first service. And so uh, it's a big day for Isaac, host for the first time. And he did baptisms as well, did three baptisms. And the plan is we're doing five more in this service. So um, I think he's trying to break the record for the most baptisms the first time somebody does baptisms. So anyways, hey, we're going to continue on in our series entitled Next is Now as we're walking through uh, the first part of the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bible, uh, physical or digital, why don't you grab that and meet me in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 is where we will be if you've missed the previous Sundays. This is week 5. And the, the overarching theme of the series is that many times we confess that we want God to be in our next. Like we want God to be in front of us and to bless where we're headed. But so often while we want that, we don't want to be faithful now. And so, you know, sometimes when we're single, we say, God, I I want you to bless me when I get married, but until then, don't mind me if I kind of live a little wild, right? Or or God, when we have kids, bless us then, but until then, we're going to kind of do our own thing. Or God, when I get to my next level in my career, then then I'll start trusting you with my treasure and my tithe, but until then, I kind of got to, you know, make sure I take care of me. So just bless me in the next, even though we're not being faithful in the now. And the reality is, if you want God in your next, you got to give him your now. And so, so next is now. For the nation of Israel, they were coming out of 400 years of slavery, followed by 40 years of wandering. And the book of Joshua is where the nation would take what is called the promised land. Uh, Moses, many of us are familiar with Moses. He had died with a generation uh, in, in the wilderness, and now the, the, the young man Joshua would lead the nation of Israel into the land that was promised to Abraham centuries before. They would cross the Jordan, uh, the river that would separate them from the land God had promised. It was raging that time of year, and God would miraculously part the Jordan River. They would make their way across. They would face the fortified city of Jericho because people had heard about what God was doing. People heard that God was delivering this land to the Israelites, so Jericho fortified their walls ready for uh, their defenses, and the nation of Israel was given the battle plan from the Lord to march around the city. Doesn't make sense in the human mind, but what we know is when it comes to God, when we do what he says, it tends to work. So they would march around the city for a week, and the walls would fall down. They would then take the city, everything in it. Uh, Rahab, who we met in chapter 2, a prostitute woman of Jericho that recognized The God of Israel is the one true God. She pledged her allegiance to God, and that resulted in her and her family being spared. There was one important instruction that was given in the conquest of Jericho, and that was that they were to take 
certain valuables, silver and gold and things like that, and they were to put it in what is called the Lord's treasury. Now, this has nothing to do with the sermon, so let me just throw this out for free. I won't charge you for this one. You may think to yourself, well, why did God want them to put these valuables in the treasury? They could have used the valuables themselves. What did God need from it? Well, beloved, here's the reality. God didn't need silver or gold, right, to increase his net worth. Just like today, as we gave our tithes and offerings earlier here in the room, or maybe you did so online, God doesn't need our tithe. Now, listen, at BT Church, we believe in practicing the tithe. Um, we believe that it's an act of worship and obedience. I say this all the time, and sometimes, like, the real churchy folk get kind of uncomfortable. God, God doesn't need our money. We don't preach the tithe because God needs our money, and the Bible says that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church that he builds, and I believe he's building this church. So if you and I choose not to tithe, I believe that God can still build this church. The reason why God told the nation of Israel to put the valuables in the treasury and the reason why he tells us to practice the tithe is not because he needs to increase his net worth. Guess what? His net worth doesn't increase or decrease based on human, human decisions. He doesn't need that from us, but we desperately need him. And the bottom line is, no matter what we want to say, is that there is a practical act of dependence every time we trust God with our treasure. So the nation of Israel was told to take these valuable metals and to put them in the treasury. And we're going to look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 15 today, to talk about what happened, uh, specifically as one individual chose to keep some of that treasure for himself. The title of today's sermon is How to Ruin Your Next. Aren't you glad you came today, right? You're ready for that feel-good sermon. You're going to leave out, you know, ready to tackle the world. Here's Pastor Chris, How to Ruin Your Next. Good news, good news, good news. Today is actually part one. So come back next week, because next week is part two of How to Ruin Your Next. And so, hey, if you're new in the room or online, uh, come back the week after that. Also, I promise uh, we don't always have discouraging. I, I believe it's an encouraging word myself, but there are some difficult words I'm going to share today. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that if we're not careful, we make decisions that do indeed ruin our next. And, and hear me, God is not a God that desires to withhold blessing. He's the author of blessing. God's intention and desire is to dispense blessing upon our lives, but he has given a, a, a recipe, if you will, to follow by which we receive that blessing. And when we want to forfeit and neglect the recipe or the instructions, guess what else? We forfeit the blessing that he wants to give. So sometimes we think that God is this angry God in the sky with lightning bolts trying to zap us. He's the God that desires to bless us. He's just given a prescription that we've got to follow to receive that blessing. And when we choose not to follow him in the now, we forfeit our blessing in the next. And so I want to talk about how, how do you and I, how do we ruin our next? And so we're going to look at the first 15 verses of Joshua chapter 7. I want to say this on the front end. It is a difficult text today. Uh, there are some verses we won't read, but I will reference that, that uh, can be hard to take in. It can seem like God is harsh. And I'm going to say some challenging words today. My belief is that the challenging words, if, if we take these things to heart, they don't lead to condemnation, but they lead to freedom. And that's what I pray happens in this place uh, and in homes as those that watch online listen today. So this is what the text says. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. So, as I said, there were some things that were to be set apart, and this guy Achan said, oh, I'm going to take some of that for myself. Thus, there was unfaithfulness in the nation of Israel. Verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth which which is east of Bethel, and told them, go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted Ai. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, don't send all the people, but send about 2,000 or 3,000 men to attack Ai, since the people of Ai are so few. Don't wear out all the people there. And so about 3,000 men went up there. So they're taking the next city in their conquest of the promised land. And Joshua sends scouts to check it out. And they come back. They're like, look, we just conquered a fortified city. Uh, AI, they're, 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 they're nothing like Jericho. So don't, don't send everyone out to battle. Give, give some of the guys a day off and just send a few thousand. And so they sent these few thousand but it says in verse 4, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from outside the city gate to the quarries, striking, down, striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people lost heart. 
Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening, as did the elders of Israel. They all put dust on their heads. O Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. Let me just hit the pause button. So, so Joshua's not aware yet of what Achan has done, but he is aware of the promise the Lord gave. Sometimes when things seem to be falling apart around us, we too quickly give up on the promise the Lord gives us. He's like, oh, well, we should have just stayed on the other side of the Jordan that you miraculously parted, right? Remember, God parted the Jordan and then caused fortified walls to fall down because they had a band, right? They, they marched around the, the walls and they, they blasted their trumpets, the, the ram's horn, and this has happened, and now Joshua's like, clearly this was a mistake. Beloved, when things aren't going right in your life, don't believe that that means that you have to forsake the promise God has given you, okay? So, so Joshua seems to be losing heart. Understandably, they, they, they conquered a fortified city, and the small city of Ai sent the men running. Verse 8, what can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? He's worried about how they're going to take the, the future cities in Canaan. When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. And then I love this, then what will you do about your great name? My God, it's kind of on you. I mean, I'm just saying. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. Why have you fallen face down? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put those things with their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from among you what is set apart. Go and consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord selects is to come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family. The family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything he has because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. These are difficult words. These are difficult words. And as we look at these few verses, the question that we want to deal with is, how, how can we ruin our next? How can we ruin that which God has for us? And so there are four things I would like for you to write down, and here's the first thing. If you want to ruin your next, a great starting place is unfaithfulness to God. It, you really want to ruin your next, a great starting place is unfaithfulness to God. Maybe you've heard the phrase, there's sin in the camp. If, you, if you've ever heard that phrase, Joshua 7 is where that phrase comes from. Sin in the camp. And so, and so Achan acted deceitfully and, and kept, basically what we read in the rest of Joshua 7, he kept a cloak and some silver and a bar of gold, and, and, and he hid it. And, and while maybe Joshua or maybe anybody else didn't know, that sin affected the whole camp. If, if we want to ruin our next, let's just practice some unfaithfulness now. My, my, my heart is heavy today, beloved, because what I think is happening in our Western culture and the American church many times is not a shortage of people that want God's blessing. They just don't want the surrender that comes with it. You know, a lot of times we, we talk about, maybe if you've been in church for a little while, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for church folk to talk about the, decay, the moral decay of society. Now, a few things. There are things happening in our society that are not of God, and, and, and I grieve that. A couple things. One, sin does not become more sinful. Sin is sin. Uh, technology has given sin a platform by which to proliferate, meaning that we're aware of it, right? But, but again, as I've said before, you know, in the early first century, the Roman Empire, like, they captured people and put them in the arena to be killed for sport while, 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 while desecrating the Colosseum with sexual practices. I mean, that, that was pretty bad. In fact, you can go further back and read the book of Numbers, and you can read about priests, right, uh, committing adultery in the temple, in the tabernacle. Like, sin has been around. And what's interesting is if you look at research, 
going all the way back to the 30s, that's when some uh, certain research was kept about the American society. And what's interesting is if you go back to the 30s to now, 1930s to now, almost 100 years, the number or the percentage of people who say they are convictional Christians, meaning they acknowledge Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God, and that acknowledgement affects the way they live their lives, right? It's, it's not just lip service. They actually make decisions based on that. The number of people that testify to that being the way they live their lives has not gone down since the mid-1930s. Interesting. The number of people who flatly reject the faith. They, they, they are atheists or agnostic. They are, they, are, they are blatant in their rejection. What's interesting is that number has not significantly gone up. What has changed drastically in a hundred years is that there is a group that I would call casual Christians. And they would say in surveys starting from the 30s until just recently, they would say when surveyed that they are a Christian, though when asked if they believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, they say no. By the way, if you don't think Jesus is the only way to heaven, I don't really care what else you believe. You're not a Christian. So there's always, or at least for 100 years, been a larger number of people that for a period of time acknowledged Christian belief and that at times maybe affected some of their behavior. What's happening is that for a while the moral compass seemed higher because people who maybe actually didn't know Jesus seemed to live in a way that represented that. What's happening is that number is greatly going down. It's not that they are outright denying faith. They're just denying the Christian faith, right? When someone is atheistic, they deny faith altogether. You see that? So that number is going down. Okay, where are you going with all this boring information? Why is that number going down? If convictional Christians are, are basically, based on statistical research, staying the same percentage, but for the first time, the percentage of people in America who say they're Christian is going down, why is it? Because people who say they're convictional Christians aren't living with conviction. That's the cause. People that say, yeah, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that affects the way I live my life. What's happening is it's actually affecting the way they live their life more and more. Therefore, there are more people who know Jesus but are being unfaithful in their walk with Jesus. If you want to ruin your next, just practice unfaithfulness now. There are more and more people that say, God, I want you to bless me once I get married, but that they want to disregard the prescription for a blessed marriage as they sleep around beforehand. God, bless my finances as I rack up debt and withhold the tithe. God, bless this and bless that. Bless this next. Just don't mind what I do now. Unfaithfulness to God is a great way to ruin your next Verse 1 of Joshua 7 says that Israel was unfaithful. Why? Because one man, Achan, one man chose to disregard that which the Lord had commanded. You know, when I was growing up, I had a second grade teacher, and she would always say that she had eyes where? In the back of her head. I remember being in like seven years old, and she'd be writing on the chalkboard. I'd like, I don't know if I believe that she has eyes in the back of her head, but even if she does, how can she see? Because her hair covers them, Right? But nonetheless, she would be writing on the chalkboard and we would be messing around and she would like call it out, right? Well, now that I'm 43, I have accepted the fact that she did not indeed have eyes in the back of her head. Now that I'm a parent, I don't have eyes in the back of my head either. But what I do have is some life experience, right? And so sometimes, sometimes I can predict what my kids are going to do because I did some of those same things. And so before or during the act, I can catch them, not because I've got eyes in the back of my head, but because I got some life experience. Well, beloved, guess what? God does have eyes in the back of his head. And maybe Joshua was unaware of what had happened, but God was not unaware. And so let me just say this today. If you are playing games with the Lord by keeping sin in your life like a pet, because maybe your spouse or your parents or your children or your employer hasn't found out about it, you might be fooling them, but please don't deceive yourself to think you're fooling God. Unfaithfulness is a great prescription to keep God out of our necks. Secondly, underestimating the enemy. Underestimating the enemy is a great way to ruin your next. Joshua may not have been aware of what Achan had done at this point in time, but when the scouts went to AI and they said, well, you know, we've already, we, we conquered Jericho, forgetting God conquered Jericho, right? We, we, we've conquered Jericho, AI, they're, they're just, they're, they're small time. Like 
just send like part of the army. They underestimated the army that was in front of them. Yes, sin in the camp would lead to their demise, but they still underestimated that which they faced. I'm a big sports fan, right? So big, big sports fan. Uh, typically, I, I cheer for all the Texas teams. Now, I have to be honest with my family here, and so I have to confess this. Please don't be offended. But when I say I cheer for the Texas teams, that excludes every team in Houston, okay? So just you take Houston, and you draw the Louisiana boundary around Houston, and I'm like, they're over there. So I, third, think of the Interstate 35 corridor. That's where I cheer, okay? Being a South Texas native, right, if you're a South Texas native, you by default must cheer for the San Antonio Spurs, Okay? It's, you can say amen, it's fine. I mean, it's whatever. So, been a Spurs fan my whole life, right? The only, the only real South Texas team. And in 2013, the Spurs were playing the Miami Heat in the NBA championship. They were severe underdogs. No one thought they had a chance. They go out and they win game one, right? It's a seven-game series, best of four. They win game one. My, my wife also, big big basketball fan, and so we're, we're watching at home, and we're like, yes. And it goes back and forth, back and forth, but the Spurs had a three to two lead going into game six. And in game six, going into the fourth quarter, they had a 10-point lead. I mean, my, Christy and I, we're, we're like, we're, we're celebrating the Spurs' fifth championship. It's in the bag. But then the Heat start making a comeback, and it's going back and forth, and our emotions are all over the place, and we don't know what's gonna happen. But eventually, the Spurs put together quite a streak, led by their point guard, Tony Parker, and then some timely fouls by LeBron James, a.k.a. not as good as Michael Jordan. Um, and so uh, the, that was, I, I cannot tell a lie. So um, I didn't say he wasn't good. I didn't. Anyways, I'm going to keep going. I got so, so, so things start going in the Spurs' favor, so much so that with less than 10 seconds left, they have a lead, and if you were watching the television broadcast, you could see this happening. The NBA officials began to wheel out the trophy for the Spurs. It's covered, right? So maybe that's not the trophy. It just looks like it, right? So they wheel out this cart, and they're, they're taking it to center court, and, and with five seconds left... LeBron James shot the ball. It bounced out of the rim. Chris Bosh would get the rebound and kick it out to Ray Allen. <laughs> We're going to have a prayer service right here. He would, he would kick it out to Ray Allen, who, like a dagger, would drop a three. The game would go to overtime, and the Spurs never regained momentum. They would go on to game seven and lose the championship. Now, for the record, they, the next year, would decimate the Heat and claim their fifth championship. But anyways, where are you going, Chris? Here's the deal. They wheeled out the trophy for the Spurs because the enemy seemed defeated. Beloved, you know what happens many times? We forfeit our next because we forget we have an enemy. And there are two enemies we tend to forget about. We're, we're really aware of the enemies kind of out there, but never forget the fact, this is not popular to preach about today, but we have an adversary who roars around like, who, who, who roars like a lion. He roams seeking who he could devour. Jesus would say he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And Christians live their life like sin's just a cute pet. It's like a chihuahua in the purse, right? Oh yeah, it's just a little dog, right? And we forget that you have an enemy that wants to destroy your life. If you've given your life to Jesus, Satan cannot revoke your salvation, but you better believe he can steal the joy of it. We got Christians all over the country that have given their life to Jesus, and I believe theologically are sealed in salvation, but they are living like they are not, and it's not that they are not going to heaven, they're just forfeiting the kingdom coming now as it is in heaven. And they're forfeiting victory in their marriages and in their parenting and in their finances. We forget that enemy, but also we forget the enemy that is ourselves. Proverbs 14, 12 would tell us that there is a way that man thinks is great, but it leads to death. I, I wish this were not the case, but I could tell you story after story after uh, in my life where I thought there was a way that there was a decision, there was a reaction, there was an action to take. And I thought it was great and I didn't consult the Lord on it. And because I was so confident this was the right way, guess what? I ended up making a terrible mistake. We, listen, I, I, know, I, I know the enemy that you are. Like, yeah, I, you got problems. 
But me, I, I forget about the enemy that, that I have in myself. Jesus, when he saves me, he replaces my heart, right? But, but I still battle that flesh in this life. And when we start to forget the battle that wages inside of us, we'll lose the battle outside of us. You want to forfeit your next? Underestimate the enemy that is in front of you. Number three, want to forfeit your next? Practice an unwillingness to be satisfied. Practice an unwillingness to be satisfied. Ultimately, what led to Achan's demise was just that. The land had been promised. The, the conquest was taking place. Israel had taken Jericho. There was no reason to believe that God would not be true to his word. I would argue, this is my commentary, that if you read the rest of chapter 7, that Achan was a man of means because it tells us that he had livestock. He had some animals. like He had, he had some measure of Wealth. So the land that God had promised, the livestock, the wealth that God had already given him was not enough. He saw that which was to be reserved for the Lord's treasury. He saw it and he liked it. And so he made it his. There was an unwillingness to be satisfied in Achan's heart. He saw the treasure. He wanted that which he knew he could not have. And the end result, if we read all the way to the end of the chapter, is that it didn't just cost him, it cost him his lineage. Because, And I'm going to address this in a minute, so don't check out if you're like, oh, that's terrible. Because if you get to the end of chapter 7, what happens is Joshua, in obedience, does what the Lord said. And so tribe by tribe, people come out, and then clan by clan, and then family by family, and then man by man. And ultimately, Achan confesses. He says, look, I took a bar of gold, I took some silver, I took a cloak, it's, it's in my tent. And I, I wish the story said, and then Joshua said, well, now that you've admitted it, it's all good. But there were some civil laws that had been set up, and so Joshua had to follow the civil law that said, if you steal from the Lord's treasury, it's you and your family's life. So Achan and his, his wife and his daughters and his livestock, all of that was brought forward forward and they were stoned to death bodies were burned and stones were put over them as a reminder of what happens when you disobey the lord's commands you see it didn't just affect Achan; it affected his lineage because his entire family lost their life that day why all because of an unwillingness to be satisfied all because of an unwillingness to be satisfied. But beloved, let me ask you, what are you not satisfied with today? And if you choose to continue that, down that road, what's it going to cost you? I don't know everybody's story in this room and online. I'm not saying there aren't people that maybe feel like they have some needs and maybe there even are some real financial and health and different types of needs today. But if you've given your life to Jesus saying yes to him in salvation, you may have some things that you feel like you need, but I promise you this, you're not lacking. Because Jesus, who is rich in mercy, has promised to meet our needs according to his riches and glory. When we feel like our needs aren't actually being met, sometimes they're once, but when we feel like our needs aren't being met, it's simply because we're not pursuing the need meter. And Satan gets his hooks in us, and he uses the same tricks because they keep working. And we find ourselves not satisfied with that which the Lord has provided. And while God longingly lovingly and longingly wants to bless our next, we forfeit his instruction in the now. And ultimately, if you continue a pattern of unfaithfulness to God, continue to rejecting that which he has shown you, you continue to underestimate the enemy that is the devil, Satan, and the enemy that is within you, and you continue to be unsatisfied, then ultimately number four is you will find yourself facing unfavorable circumstances. A life that pursues unfaithfulness, that underestimates the enemy, and that is unsatisfied in what the Lord has provided will produce unfavorable circumstances. Now listen to me, I need to clarify some bad theology that sometimes exists in the church. There are people in the church today and they believe every time tragedy or illness or hospitalization hits their family, it's because of their direct sin. Listen to me. All of that 
tragedy and death and loss and illness and hospitalizations and, and all the other bad stuff, all of the bad stuff is a reality because of sin, yes. Because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, brokenness followed, and so we live in a broken world. So everything that is bad, so to speak, does come from sin. But every time you experience something like, again, illness, loss, hospitalization in your family, it is not always directly related to your sin, okay? I think sometimes believers live in this condemned life when we've been set free from condemnation because every time something bad happens, they think it must be something in their lives, that being said, okay, so, so keep that. That being said, if you continue to play games with hidden sin, it might not be that every bad thing that comes upon your life is directly related, but I can promise you this, your life will never be what it could be. If you choose to play games with unfaithfulness and keeping sin in your life like it doesn't matter or because no one else notices, you think God doesn't notice, it may or may not, listen to me, it could, it may or may not result in direct tragedy in your life, but it's still a tragedy when your life doesn't become all that God intends it to be. And sin undealt with will always produce unfavorable circumstances. Achan started by looking at that which he desired. He saw something he wanted that he couldn't have. By the way, at that point in time, he had not sinned. Listen, you keep your eyes open long enough, you're going to see something you want that you can't have. What, what, what shifted for Achan is not that he saw something he wanted that he couldn't have, it's that he took the, the seeing and he turned it into coveting. And we don't use the word covet a lot today. Doesn't, so, so what does covet mean? Now, now, covet makes its way into the big ten, right, the ten commandments. One, one day I'm going to preach a series on that, but that's not today, so let me do it real quick. What does it mean to covet? So thou shalt not covet, right? So, so coveting is not just seeing something you want but you can't have, but it's seeing that, wanting that, and then believing that that can fulfill you in a way that God can't. Covetousness is connected to idolatry, by the way, right? The beginning of the Big Ten, you should have no other gods before me. The Ten Commandments, by the way, they all build on each other. If you're not going to have any gods before him, then you're not going to want anything besides him. And so Achan, it's not that he saw that which he wanted and couldn't have, it's that he kept looking. And his gaze was fixed, and somehow, I'm not trying to be a psychologist here, I'm not trying to add to the text, but somewhere in Achan's heart, he believed that that treasure could fulfill something that God had not yet filled. And so he took it. He saw it, he wanted it, he knew he couldn't have it, he coveted it, and then he took it. And by the way, beloved, that recipe works today. Now listen to me. I want you to hear clearly the words I'm going to say. And the, these are not words of condemnation. I hope they're words of freedom. Church our size, people in this room and online, there are people that have experienced the pain of divorce. No one stands on their wedding day and says, man, I hope I get divorced one day. Like, no one does that. But it happens. There are people today in the room and online that have experienced the, the pain of marriage infidelity. Some have experienced it because it happened to you, and then just being completely candid, some have experienced it because you pursued it. What I want you to hear me before I say anything else is that God takes broken pieces when we give them to him and he puts things back together, okay? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But in 22 years of serving the church, I have unfortunately heard more times than I care to remember whenever infidelity has, racked, has wrecked a marriage, I've heard people say, well, I just don't know how it happened. I do. Somebody saw that which they wanted and couldn't have. Oh, but at home, my husband or my wife, you, you saw something you wanted that you couldn't have. You hadn't sinned at that point in time, but you turned that once into a belief that somehow pursuing that relationship or that moment or that fling or that night would fulfill you in a way the Lord could not. That's how we get there. So, so, some people, they... they, 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 they faced that moment, right, where they saw something they couldn't have, and knowing how wrong it would be, they chose not to pursue that, that night or that relationship or that fling. And so instead of pursuing that, yay, check the box, they just went online and looked at porn. 
They just went to the bottle or to the drug or to the substance that could numb that which was, they, they felt this void because their marriage was falling apart or things were, the finances. And ultimately what happens is we see that which we want and cannot have and then we covet and we take. And this is why I bring this up, not to speak condemnation, but to speak freedom. We have to acknowledge how we got there. Satan wants us to act like we don't know what happened. God knows what happened. God doesn't want us to live in condemnation. He doesn't want us to live in that guilt. He's already removed it in Christ Jesus. But to avoid the unfavorable circumstance, we do have to confess our sins to he who is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are people today that have gone through horrific, sinful experiences. And the reason why they're not living in victory today is not because forgiveness has not been afforded to them, but they aren't receiving the cleansing that it comes into their lives when they lay it bare before the Lord. God's desire is not unfavorable circumstances no matter what you have experienced. His desire, I believe this to be true, he's the God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. He puts broken pieces together to make masterpieces, but we've actually got to put the pieces in his hands. And today in the American church, we prefer to keep the pieces in our hands. And we prefer to keep the sin in the dark. Listen, I'm going to preach for a minute, okay? We, we, we want to keep it in the dark. And the problem with keeping it in the dark is that's where sin grows. Like it thrives in the dark. And, and spouse doesn't know, and kids don't know, and boss doesn't know, or parents don't know, or best friend don't know. No one knows. The Lord knows. And there's this fear of what will happen when the light gets turned on. Hear me, beloved. When the light gets turned on, there might be circumstances that are painful, but the end result is always freedom when you let the Lord shine light on sin. And so we hold back and we keep things in the dark and we play games with God and it leads to unfaithfulness, it leads to underestimating enemies, right? It leads to dissatisfaction and it will always produce unfavorable circumstances. And my prayer today is that we would be a church who's not content to play games with God. The problem with society today, guess what? Guess what the problem with society in Western culture is? It is not non-Christians acting like non-Christians. It's Christians acting like non-Christians. It's those that have been bought by the blood of Jesus, given the power of the Holy Spirit, and still giving in to the temporary temptations of the flesh when we have fullness of life. There's too many people in our society that they want to show up to church to check the box and make sure they get a feel-good sermon and they sing some songs they like. Listen, this sermon is one that does a pretty good job of reducing attendance. I get it. You got some first-time guests. Come back. We got another. We got part two. But then come, come for the next week, right? But, but this is the reality. While, while, while my, my temptation, hear me, my temptation is to, is to kind of scrub over these hard parts so I can just say something that makes you feel good. These passages that confront our sin head on, they're actually encouraging. Because here's the deal. I remember when I was a youth pastor, just stay with me for a second. When I was a youth pastor, sometimes parents would kind of get, uh, they get kind of like uncomfortable because when I would talk to teenagers, I would tell them that, hey, sin feels good for a little bit. They're like, Chris, don't say that. I'm like, what? Okay, like just adult conversation real quick. Like, I'm not gonna, I can't tell a teenager that if they engage in premarital sex, it won't, it won't be pleasurable for a moment. But what I can tell them is it won't be fulfilling for a life. Yeah, sin pleases in a moment. The problem is it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill for a life. And I use this illustration all the time. Sin is origel, right? You ever get a toothache, you get the origel out, and you rub it on there? I haven't issued this one in a while, by the way. Married people, great prank. Put origel on your spouse's toothbrush. It's awesome. Just watch it. Just watch. Yeah. Whole mouth goes numb. It's, it's amazing. Watch your toothbrush this week, babe. So anyways, um, but, but here's the deal. You get that toothache, right? You got the abscess or whatever's going on, and you put the origel on. And for like five minutes, all is right in the world. And then it starts wearing off. And if the toothache's bad enough, you'll go through a tube in a day, right? Origel can mask and treat symptoms, but it can never. Sometimes the tooth has to get pulled. 
Listen, you can engage in sexual immorality. You can engage in addictions. You can engage in greed and deceitfulness. You can engage in those activities. And moment by moment, you might feel okay. But when you come down from the high, you'll be as empty as you were before. And because out of fear, the enemy has caused us to believe that to bring it into the light would do more damage. We keep living on Origel when God has the cure. And he says, just bring your broken pieces to me. And for Achan, he chose to deceive the Lord. And this is what happened when you get to the end, and this makes people uncomfortable and it sounds harsh, but let me just finish. When you get to the end, Achan is brought before the leadership of Israel with his wife and children and his livestock, and they are stoned to death, bodies burned and put under a pile of rocks. And we say to ourselves, how could a loving God do that? Let me just, look again, I have a few more minutes so I can offend everybody real quick. When we look at the difficult passages of Scripture that make God seem cruel, and we say, how could God do that? All we do is reveal our arrogance. I don't celebrate the story of Achan, but I do recognize that it takes me to the gospel. Because why would God send his sinless son to be nailed on a tree on my behalf? Listen, beloved, I'm just going to say this. If the tragedies of the Old Testament make you uncomfortable and the cross of Jesus doesn't, something's wrong. Why am I not under a pile of rocks? That's the question. And I wish we could scrub past difficult passages like Joshua 7, particularly verses 16 and following but it doesn't reveal the angry God in the sky who's out to get us because it takes us to the gospel of the God of grace. Because while we read Joshua 7 and we see these words, let's also not forget Ephesians chapter 2 where we see this, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens with Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, that though we were dead in our sin, deserving to be under a pile of rocks like Achan and his family, God being rich in mercy while we were yet sinners, gave us life to the fullest in Jesus Christ, and at the moment of salvation prepares our place in the heavenlies so that when we leave this broken rock called earth, we get to our eternal home. Beloved, hear me clearly. This is not meant to be discouraging, but encouraging. God knows you're next, and he has blessings untold to pour over it. But you can't expect to get there and not surrender today. You can't expect to experience it and forget and forsake that which he's called you to today. And we've got to be a people that will acknowledge the consequence of sin. Listen to me. It is my prayer daily that God would continue to do the work that he's done in our church. Listen, just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray that you know my heart. I pray God would add to our number every week. The more people would show up, the more people would get saved, the more people would get baptized, the more people would move into membership. Praise God, this past week we finished our most recent membership class, 18 new family members, right? I, listen, I pray for those things. I, I just can't read the book of Acts and see how God is against the church growing. And so I do, I pray that God would grow our church and bring more people to faith. I pray that, but, but, but if he must first fleece the flock, right? That's not popular language from a preacher. If he must first remove some of us to then add to us, my, my greatest prayer, yeah, I want God to grow us and bless us, but I don't want to forsake the gospel for the sake of performance, And I, I just happen to believe that we can grow and reach people and be a dynamic body of believers that gives God our yes. I don't think it has to be either or, like you're faithful to God and you're really small or you forsake your soul to the devil and you grow and you know, it's like some type of platform. I'm not interested in a platform. I'm interested in life change. 
but, 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 but I'm not interested in growth at the sake of becoming complacent, casual Christians that is plaguing our society. May God raise up thousands of convictional Christians who live life in the church and in the marketplace and in the public sector in a way that pushes back darkness. But the only way the darkness gets pushed back is if we let the light shine on that which is dark in our hearts. And beloved, hear me, you may be dealing with unfavorable circumstances, but don't believe that, that, that God doesn't have blessings for you if you would just release that which is in your life that is not of him. And I believe today is a day to do business. Listen to me, I'm not the prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm just a preacher. But I believe in a few moments, if you're here in this room, when we do what we call the time of invitation, we're going to sing today about the amazing grace that saves wretches like you and me. Many of you that are in the room, you know the routine. We'll stand and we'll sing. But I believe today that God is working on many of your hearts. And if you're in this room, we're going to have ministers that will be here to pray with you. If you're online, you can, you can reach out to us and let us know what's going on. We would love to contact you and pray with you and over you. But I believe today, listen to me, I believe today there is a work God wants to do in our hearts, many of us that have already received Jesus. But, but that work, what it's going to involve is some active obedience. And you may want to come receive prayer today, or you may just need to come fill this altar kneeling down. Listen, there's nothing magic about a padded place to kneel in the front of a room. Hear me. There's nothing magical about this room or this thing called an altar. There's just something powerful about actively obeying the, the Lord. And I, I can't control this, and we're not going to manipulate this, but I believe that maybe what the Lord wants to do today is fill this altar with people that are saying, Lord, I'm sorry for all the things in me that are not of you. And you may not quite be ready to tell one of our prayer ministers about it, but believe the Lord knows it. And step one can be saying, Lord, would you take this from me? I don't want any more origel on the sin in my life. I want it removed. I want the surgery to, to remove this tumor that we call sin. And you may, then, you may then need to take some steps that would promote you walking in obedience, like joining a community group where you've got some friends that will pray with you and over you. Today, it may be that you need to take a step of obedience. The funny thing about obedience is it pushes back darkness. It may be today that you say, you know what, I'm gonna, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to work out. My finances are a wreck, but I'm trusting God with my treasure. I'm, I'm giving him the tithe today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust him to be my provider. It may be that there's someone in the room or online and you've, you've given your life to Jesus. You've got security of salvation. But for some reason or another, you have not yet been baptized. Baptism doesn't make you saved. It doesn't keep you saved. It declares you've been saved. And while it does not make you saved and to not be baptized doesn't remove salvation, obedience keeps us walking in the joy of salvation. And I believe there are some of you today, listen, we got five people. Why not six or seven or eight or 10 or 20 or whatever? And there are some people today and you have put off baptism, an act of obedience because, and I don't say this lightly, you're worried about what somebody might say. You didn't tell them you're getting baptized today. They'll be upset. Or you have this family member and you were baptized in that other church. And if you get baptized again, they might be upset. Listen to me. If you've given your life to Jesus and since that decision, you haven't been baptized, thus believers baptisms, not talking about anything in your life before. Listen, when I was seven years old, guess what? I got baptized at West Main Baptist Church in Alice, Texas. But when I was 19, I got baptized again. You know why? Because now I was a believer. And sometimes, sometimes we just got to pull it back and just kind of like, here's the challenge. Would you stop worrying about all the reasons why not to be obedient? And just be obedient. Listen, we say it all. We, we, Isaac, he's, he's getting dressed right now. He worked out this week. He's ready to go. We got T-shirts and shorts and towels. We got water. We got nothing but time. If you're in this room, when we stand to worship in a moment, you just need to head outside this door right here or this one and down the hall. Go to the info center and just say, hey, I need to get baptized. Someone's going to talk with you make sure you understand the decision. We're not going to rush anybody into this. If you're online, text us that you want to get baptized. 97,000 is our number. Text the word BT baptism. You're like, oh, but I live in Idaho. Let us figure that out. I, look, look, I've gotten myself in trouble more than once with this microphone. You live somewhere outside of South Texas and you want to get baptized, we will reach out to you, online family. We'll figure out how to help you get baptized or else sometime this summer, I will drive or fly to where you are and baptize you. 
There, I said it. I, I will figure out how to get to you and I'll baptize you. There's so much at stake. What if, what if we said we won't be the church that plays games? You know, all the stuff that we think is falling apart in society and politically, you know the best answer? You know the best answer to all that? Is more people living sold out for Jesus. It's just the best answer. I know it's scary, but what if today you started putting some light on that which is dark? Oh, that God would not let us be people that claim to be convictional but aren't. And you may be sitting there, listen, I got some people I haven't offended yet, so let me wrap up. You may be sitting there and saying, well, Chris, you know, I'm not in the middle of an affair. I'm not looking at pornography online. I don't have an alcohol or drug addiction. Like, none of that. I mean, I think people do, and yeah, we need to pray for them. Okay, well, what are you doing with your mouth? You know what happens in the church is we look at all those big sins, like, oh, I, I don't got those. And then, and then we get together in our little holy country club, our little holy huddle, like, oh, you know, I don't have all those sins, but Laura, she doesn't, by the way. Oh, she's got all those problems. Yeah, oh, did you, oh, yeah, did you hear about that? You hear, you hear about what so-and-so did? You hear about Isaudo? Oh, my gosh. And, and then we take prayer request time, which is, by the way, that becomes code word for gossip. And so we feel good because, you know, we're faithful and we haven't done the big ones, but we are living a life devoid of victory because we think we're okay. That's the problem. We think we're okay when we desperately need Jesus to enter our hearts and to take residence. And maybe we've already given our life to Jesus. We just need to give our mouth to him because we gossip and we slander and we speak down against brothers and sisters in Christ. Guess what? There's room at the altar for you as well. And then maybe today there's someone online or in the room and what you desperately need is, is not a step of obedience but a step of surrender because you need to receive the gift of Jesus applied to your life. And so as we worship, we're gonna give you opportunity to make that decision. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna worship in this room and online family, you'll have some instructions of some next steps you can take as well. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in these next few minutes that you would move in our hearts. God, I pray that you would give us clarity for decisions that need to be made. God, I pray that you would let us walk in freedom in areas that we've been living in chains. God, I pray that you would release addictions that are holding hearts. I pray that you would restore relationships that have been fractured. God, I pray that you would lead us to steps of obedience. And God, I pray today in this moment, in this room and online, that those who are far from Jesus would understand ultimately there's no hope except in him. Except in Jesus alone, there is no hope, there is no life, there is no peace. And so God, today, would you draw people to yourself to receive the gift of salvation? We pray this in Jesus' name.